Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. Today, we are talking mid-majors, highlighting the upcoming week of college basketball, because college basketball season is finally here. Today, we are joined by Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets and Ben Carey of Busting Brackets as well. Guys, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to do the final uh, Busting Brackets preview podcast. That means we're all the way there. Thank you. It's been a long string. Ben, it's first time on. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to get the season underway. Uh, it's my, my favorite uh, time of the year. So ready to ready to get ready to watch some college basketball for the next, what, six months. So <laughs> it, it is a, a time of hope for 353 teams around the country. Um, Throughout the, the past couple of weeks, me and Connor have been going through and previewing power conferences and some of the top-tier mid-major conferences. But uh, there are a lot of teams outside of, of those, I guess you could say, top-tier mid-majors, like the, the Mountain West, uh, West Coast Conference, A-10, that are looking to have pretty good years, Connor. Uh, give me somebody who you're looking at kind of outside of the beaten path, so to speak, that could really break through this season. I've said it before, I've said it the past couple of years, and I'll say it again, I, I still believe that we should all consider New Mexico State in that top 50 upper echelon group of teams um, out, out of the mid-major conferences, especially, you know, they're, they're a top 10, consistently top 10 mid-major team, and I still think that they have a huge gap between them and the second place team in the WAC. Uh, Grand Canyon is much improved this year out of the WAC, and so they'll really, I think, give New Mexico State at least some competitiveness this season in terms of the race for the WAC title. But it has to happen eventually for New Mexico State. I mean, they, uh, they've they been to the tournament so many times. They have got so close last year to upsetting Auburn, who ended up going to the Final Four. So I've been saying it the past couple of weeks, and I promised we'd talk about New Mexico State. They're solid. They bring in... Um, some solid uh, additions, and I think Trevelyn Queen is going to become a name that a lot more college basketball fans know this year. Yeah, they're a deep team, too, and that, uh, while one-sided, that New Mexico State-Grand Canyon sort of budding rivalry has sort of come to fruition, and, and as you mentioned, there's probably a bit more teeth to it this year than there has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, bringing in the the players that Grand Canyon brought in, I mean, it's just you can't really expect New Mexico State to win every game in the WAC this year um, because Grand Canyon's going to give them some trouble. I really do think that uh, Cal Baptist might pull off an upset against one of the top two teams in that conference. They they have Milan, uh, Aqua, and, and it's 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 going to uh, it's going to be fun. And I think that actually West Coast basketball in general is going to be fun. You're going to have a race at the top of the whack. You're going to have a race at the top of the Big West between UCSB and UC Irvine, um, with a lot of talent in in the top two players on that CSUN roster. Um, and Hawaii looks good too. So that Big West is going to be fun. The whack is going to be fun. Big Sky, eh, 
Hmm. There's not a there's not really a team that stands out to me from the Big Sky. Um, you have to look at Montana and Northern Colorado um, and Weber State, but outside of the Big Sky, which is probably going to be one of those conferences that people might not mind missing. Looking at those battles between Grand Canyon and New Mexico State, looking at those battles between UCSB and UC Irvine, um, and watching Lamine Diane at CSUN, it, it, there's a lot to like uh, from the mid-majors out west. Yeah, and if, if those teams get into the tournament, it might be interesting to see where they slide in, because as we've talked about, there are some weaknesses at the top of, of the polls that, that some of the teams at the top of the polls have that I think some of those teams could exploit. Tristan, give me the mid-major that you're really watching this year that you think would make noise. Well, there's one out east that I'll look forward to, but I do want to say about Mexico State uh, with Connor. I'm not sure if there's another program who has as much pressure on them to win this season as New Mexico State. They st- they've they gone to a tournament just about every year, dominated the WAC, but the difference between them and, and Gonzaga, who would be their you know mid-major idol, they haven't advanced. They haven't made, took in that next step. Despite the fact that they have a JUCO pipeline, they get transfers. They're easy. They're easy for players to get into school academically. They have all the tools to be a really quality mid-major program that can make the top 25 and keep growing. But they're not going to move forward unless they actually advance in the NCAA tournament. They and this roster might be the best they've had since uh, the days of Pascal Siakam. So if they accidentally slip up in the tournament or even as a 12 or 13 seed still not win that first game, it's going to be a disappointing season for them. They have to advance the ball further as a program. So I want to say that about the Aggie because I'm definitely looking at them, especially besides Grand Canyon, they have four matchups with uh, other rivals, UTEP and New Mexico. Both programs should be vastly improved as well. So their non-conference is going to be incredibly fun to watch even before WAC play begins. But one pro, another program who I think I'm hoping he makes to a tournament and should definitely keep an eye out for their non-conference schedule is Vermont. They have arguably, you know, with Mike Dom gone, they probably have the best pure mid-major player all around, Anthony Lamb. 20 and 10 guy can do it all. Feels like he's on that Perry Ellis track. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping that he I was hoping that he didn't go pro early, but when you but the fact that Vermont, who's been a consistent contender in the American East for years, also adds himself a couple of uh power conference transfers, you never know how well that works out. They should be able to go what fifteen and one, sixteen and zero again in the conference, maybe get an impressive win to sort of boost the resume up. I, if I'm a power conference team that's a four or five seed i'm praying vermont slips up and doesn't get it doesn't get a bit because they're going to be everyone's easy uh upset favor if they make the big dance of course the one year recently which vermont slipped up was to umbc and i think virginia probably would have preferred if vermont had taken care of business that year (laughs) ben what what about you who are you looking at yeah so I, i just wanted to touch on a few points you guys made uh the big sky this year uh it, it's going to be wide open i don't think there's a clear-cut favorite uh, a lot of teams lost some talent uh over the offseason 
one in particular, Northern Colorado, they lost Jordan Davis, who uh, was their leading scorer. And I believe he was the leading scorer in the Big Sky last season. So, again, uh, Big Sky, uh, wide open. I'm a Northern Colorado uh, alma mater, so uh, very familiar with that program. UNC. Um, Yeah, I actually was a a, a freshman when Northern Colorado made the tournament for the first year. That That was a awesome year. But as far as this year's year goes, you know, that Eastern Washington uh, is a sneaky pick to, to win that big sky. Uh, Montana always has a pretty solid team. They, they do a good job of recruiting up there. Uh, but one team I wanted to head out east here, and this is a team that's kind of under the radar, I'd say, I would say, as far as the mid-major goes, but it's uh, Eastern Tennessee State. Uh, they, they've returned five seniors. A lot of their scoring's backed. Uh, Eastern Tennessee State out of Johnson City. They're in the, the SOCON conference with uh, Wofford. And, of course, Wofford gets a lot of the attention out of that conference. But, the, you know, this is the Buccaneers team that went 12-14 and 14 last year, 13-5 and five in conference play. They lost in the semifinals to Wofford. And, you know, this is a team that has the pieces to uh, win that conference. So, um, you know, I, I, I need to take a look closer at their, their schedule to see if they could potentially sneak in. Uh, you know, if they end up with six or seven win or losses, excuse me. But, you know, we, we've seen in the past that the uh, selection committee doesn't really uh, like to bring in those uh, mid-majors that don't win their conference into the big dance. But uh, it looks like Eastern Tennessee State would have to uh, win their uh, conference to, to get in. And that's a team that I'll have my eye on this year. Yeah, well, they, they were part of the four SOCON teams that were all kind of wondering if they would get an at-large bid, and UNC yeah. Greensboro almost did. Um, so that's a conference that the, I think the committee has respect for. East Tennessee State is going to be good. Uh, Furman going to be pretty decent. UNC Greensboro going to be pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silicon could find themselves in, in a similar position like that again. Uh, I'm surprised that nobody mentioned Harvard. And I, don't I know was, I was just about to ask. Other uh, than that. I was just about to ask, Brian, um, ask you guys, I've, I've looked at Harvard's schedule. Um, I've looked at their roster. If Harvard performs to their capabilities. And, and if they're healthy. If they're healthy, if they perform to their ceiling and they lose in the Ivy League tournament, could we be looking at a two-bit Ivy? Because I think Harvard is good enough to get an at-large and their, their schedule isn't isn't impossible to navigate. And so I think they could come out of that non-conference with legitimate kind of undefeated aspirations. They're, they're, you know, if they go, they could, they could finish legitimately. I could see them finishing the season undefeated going into the Ivy league tournament. Well, this is going to be, I think the best test of how the NCAA permanent selection committee views just sheer number of wins if that scenario happens, we saw with St. Mary's a couple of years ago, they had no, no real quality wins to speak of, but we're still in at large contention because they only had five or six losses that year. If Harvard ends up going through the Ivy league pretty well, finishing the season with maybe three losses, four losses. And that's, I think somewhat conservative uh, given the, the fact if, if like we said, they're healthy, they play their potential, Keeping a team with three losses out of the tournament, even if they play in the Ivy League, just because that kind of record with the talent that we know is on Harvard's roster, um, 
I, I could see them getting in, potentially getting like a, a first floor. Actually, because as, as we've talked about, Connor, there are some bids up for grabs this year with the ACC and Big Ten not reached. There, there are a ton of bids up for grabs, and there are a ton of teams trying to get those bids. So um, whether that bodes well for mid-majors or not is yet to be determined, but I think there's a lot more bids that we would consider up for grabs for mid-majors this season than there have been in years past. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And um, there are a lot of really good mid-majors out there this year, but the headliners are headlining opening night Tuesday night, the Champions Classic. We have Kansas and Duke going up against each other, three versus four. Michigan State and Kentucky going up against each other, one and two. It's going to be a, a fun opening night. I, I love that they've moved the Champions Classic to opening night. But there are plenty of other games going on Tuesday night and this week as well. Um, outside of those two Champions Classic games, because I know that they're going to be the headliners that everyone's going to want to tune in for. We'll talk Give us one game this week that you're really keeping in your eye on that you think is must-watch TV. Yeah, uh, well, you know, you, there's a few here that uh, I was taking a look at uh, and just kind of running over the schedule. Uh, Louisville, Miami will be interesting. I'm kind of curious to see uh, what Louisville brings to the table this year. They're currently ranked fifth, uh, and this is a team that has uh, a lot of high hopes uh, headed into the season. A lot of expectations. So curious to see how they perform on the road against Miami, uh, a team that I don't really have high expectations for. Uh, that, that was one that caught my eye. Kind of curious to see uh, Virginia Tech, uh, how they perform after last year, having a somewhat deep run. Uh, they have some new pieces in place. Uh, so that will be an interesting one. They, they face off against Clemson, uh, Clemson being the home team. Uh, both of those are on Tuesday, uh, so the opening night games. I uh, haven't really taken a look too deep into uh, the rest of the week. I've just been so focused on uh, opening night. But, of course, yeah, those two headliners are, are going to be really good. Uh, this is one that, you know, kind of pivoting a little bit, not so much the matchup, but I'm, you know, I'm really curious to see uh, what Gonzaga does this year. Uh, you know, they have an easy game uh, against Alabama State. But uh, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they uh, – perform this year they, they lost a, a few key pieces to the draft of course and they're they're currently ranked eighth uh i think that could be a little high uh that was just interesting because they're they're 35 point favorites but they you know they typically perform well against the spread in those early season games uh, so th- those are just a few that I, I was taking a look at but you know as the as the season goes on and or after the first game i should say or the first day of games uh, i'll definitely be taking a look at some of the other matchups later in the week, but I've been so focused on uh, the first uh, slate of games for tomorrow that I haven't had too much time uh, to look through some of the games. I think Syracuse and Virginia either play Wednesday or Thursday. That was another one that I thought would be a uh, pretty interesting matchup. Uh, you know, if you like defenses and low-scoring games, that one's going to be for you uh, with Syracuse running that 2-3 zone and Virginia having one of the lowest paces of play out of 353 teams, I think they were dead last. So they like to, of course, milk that clock, get the best shot up, uh, and, you know, win games in the 60s and hold teams for around 50 points. So those are a few that uh, caught my eye. It is definitely a loaded Tuesday night of games. And I, I, I'm kind of thinking because there's so many games, 
that it, I, I think the Champions Classic should get its own night, and then we see these games kind of start the, the next day. Uh, but there are a lot of good games on the rest of the week as well. Uh, you got Ohio State Cincinnati on Wednesday, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, Friday night, got a couple good ones. Uh, UNC Greensboro is going to Kansas, which could be a little interesting. We talked about the Spartans a little bit. Washington and Baylor Friday night as well. Uh, Kristen, give me one that you're really looking at. You know, I have to tell you, you know, as much as I'm excited for the season start on Tuesday, that Friday slate, I think, could be incredibly consequential. There's a number of bubble battles going on in there. I think, you know, we look at how historically the A-10 does so well in a non-conference by getting quality wins. Davidson got a real shot at beating Auburn to start out the season. That's one of those typical A-10 type wins that they get that can boost the whole schedule. I think one game I'm really interested in is we're going to see how real Illinois is. They, take their, they go at Grand Canyon. That is a problem environment for any team. And, you know, there's a whole lot of expectations for Illinois. They bring in the top-tier big man, Kofi Cockburn. You know, A.O. DeSomo is going to be someone who people have as an all-Big Ten player. Illinois has to win that game. If they lose that game, there's going to be a whole lot of chatter going on in, in that game. And, and I, I would, I'll say this, too. Uh, Baylor-Washington, that's going to be a, a big game. I think both teams are better than bubble status, but that's one of those interesting games that can help boost you up seed-wise for whoever wins. And now that we know that Quade Green's eligible to play, I want mm-hmm. to see how Washington looks against a pretty physical and – pretty physical team, but doesn't have as much size as Baylor. So I, I like to see how those freshmen do in that game. So it, it, it should be a good week overall. And even another one I'll say on Saturday, BYU and San Diego State is going to be a consequential game for both conferences. You know, uh, BYU doesn't have Yoli Childs. They, they won't have Jesse Wade. They're really ravaged. But the reality is, you still have to win those games if you want to have bubble aspirations. And same thing for San Diego State. They have a lot – they have transfers coming in that's going to have to gel quickly. Uh, they could be a bubble team too if they win that, but that's that's a game that is sort of 50-50 on paper, but both teams have to win. That's a game that'll that'll boost one team's resume uh, by the end of the season if, if they're able to get in that bubble conversation. The Washington-Baylor game, I think, is a really good measuring stick game. I think you talked about one team was going to get a significant boost early on in the season. Uh, a loss doesn't necessarily hurt one or the other, whoever that ends up being. Uh, but a win in a game like that can certainly increase uh, maybe your expectations and um, just sort of your national standing of winning a game like that. And I want to go back to Illinois. Tristan, you mentioned they opened at Grand Canyon. Then the second game Sunday is at Arizona. and. And, Connor, that's, I, I think, a game I'm looking at for uh, an Illinois team that a lot is expected of this year. We're picked to finish uh, among the, the top half of the teams in the Big Ten despite losing records each of the last two seasons. We're going to find out how good Illinois is and perhaps how good Arizona is um, by the end of the week. Yeah, and that's what, what I love about this, kind of not necessarily early in the week, um, outside of the Champions Classic, they – 
It's really only for me that the intriguing game is probably St. Mary's Wisconsin um, as a measuring mm-hmm. stick. But the measuring stick games this weekend are insane. Uh, this weekend into Tuesday. Um, first of all, you've got you've got you mentioned that Washington Baylor game, but there's a huge measuring stick Pac-12 matchup um, later that evening between Arizona State and Colorado. And the China game. We're we're gonna see how good and how for real Colorado actually is because Arizona State the past two seasons has been consistent. I think they'll be consistent again, and they're gonna be that kind of early bubble measuring stick um, for for Colorado. Uh, Arizona, like you said, Arizona Illinois, both teams are trying to go and and from relatively poor seasons last season and and have NCAA aspirations. Um, Arizona is probably the better team on paper, but all that goes out the window. They're trying to improve, um, and, and and it's a lot of freshman talent that they have to, to work around. So we'll see how, how that game goes. Um, other measuring stick games that I was looking at, Texas-Purdue. Uh, yeah, that was what I was going to bring up. Both of those teams are questionable. Um there are a lot of people that are high on both teams. There are a lot of people that are low on both teams. So, so that's a, a pretty solid uh, measuring stick game. Um, who else? That's a shock of smart hot seat game. No, definitely. I mean, I don't think Texas has to win that game, but I think they at least have to compete. They have um, to look good. And run with, with Purdue for the, for the entirety of the game. Pepperdine's not a tournament uh hopeful team really but they have some pretty solid games back to back um that could uh show us if they really are a team that can compete at the top of the wcc in, in uc irvine and and csun so th- those should be some fun games um, ucla plays uc santa barbara and it's a game that ucla should win uh, but if anything we've learned over the past couple of seasons for UCLA is that they don't win the games that they should. And, and so this will be a real test to see if Mick Cronin can get it right early on in the season. Um, but the biggest game, I think, in a game that n- not many people or no one mentioned, um, happens on Tuesday. And it's a big measuring stick for both teams in terms of Top 15 aspirations, and that, or top 10, I guess, aspirations, and that's Oregon versus Memphis. I was bringing that up. And I think that that's probably the game that I'm looking forward to the most because no one really knows how good Oregon or Memphis are going to be this year, and they're both top 15 based purely on the amount of talent they have. And mm-hmm. so we're really going to see what they look like, and, and, it's, and it's possible that one of these teams blows out the other team. But I'm really hoping for a, a high-quality, back-and-forth, kind of down-to-the-wire matchup between two excellent teams. Um, but I think my most underrated matchup, and uh, I'll end with this, is New Mexico State against UTEP. UTEP looks solid this year. It's a rivalry game. Um, and I think that if New Mexico State really wants to prove that this is the year that they can do something, they have to win that game at UTEP. Um, and they have to win the game at New Mexico to really solidify themselves as a, a quality team that can compete in March. Connor just it, thinks everybody should watch every New Mexico State game. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, I, I have, I have oh. one more for you guys uh, that wasn't mentioned. 
Baylor on the road against Washington. That's on Friday. Uh, I'm really curious to see what Washington is going to bring to the table, of course, with uh, two of the top prospects coming out of high school with Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels, both in the top 10. So I'm very curious to see if if they hit the ground running. And, I mean, they're playing a really good Baylor team. Baylor's, uh, I think, ranked 18th currently. So that that's going to be an interesting matchup to see if Washington and Mike Hopkins will have the boys ready to play uh, against the quality opponent uh, the first game of the year. Uh, two things I want to bring up. One, uh, bring it back to Vermont. They 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 go at St. Bonaventure the first. They go at St. Bonaventure that Friday. That's a game that Vermont has to win. But I think you can make an argument that St. Bonaventure actually has more talent. Uh, another thing for Connor, this question's for you. Uh, New Mexico State won't have uh, AJ Harris for the first month of the season. Do you think that? Uh, you think that the, uh, the Aggies are still solid from the point guard situation, that they can still beat teams like UTEP, or could Harris's injury uh, set them back a bit? Harris being gone definitely hurts them. Um, but I still think that when you have Trevlin Queen, uh, Terrell Brown, um, and you know Johnny McCants and others on the floor – you always have a chance to win those games, especially if you're not playing top 25 caliber talent. So are they probably going to lose one, maybe two more games than they would have if Harris was on the floor? Sure. I'm not going to say that they're going to win you know, every game. I probably think they, if they have Harris on the floor, they win both games on the road against New Mexico and UTEP. I think they probably lose that New Mexico matchup um, simply because New Mexico is just now better at the guard position than uh, than New Mexico State. But, look, I, I think that New Mexico State, their goal this non-conference is not to win a bunch of games. Their goal is to develop their players so that when they win the WAC in the spring, they have a team that can go into the NCAA tournament and compete with top 25 caliber talent. So... Honestly, if A.J. Harris uh, can come back at full strength, I actually think this might benefit New Mexico State in the long run when it comes to being able to compete because they're giving other guards more reps at the point guard position so that they don't get beat when they go deep into their bench. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's going to hurt. Losing a top three player on your team isn't easy for any team to, to, to take. So... The fact that they lose him for the first month of the season is not uh, not a good thing, but I think that in the long run it could it could benefit them from the aspect of some of their backup guards will get more minutes. And that's the big thing to remember when watching all these games this week. We're so excited for college basketball to be back, but this is a, a five-month season. They're going to play 30 to 40 games. They don't have to be perfect right now. And what we see on opening night in this week is not what we're going to see in March. Remember, Quentin Grimes, I think, scored 21 for Kansas, and Tristan was calling him a National Player of the Year contender last year. That obviously didn't happen. We're we're, we're in football mode, and uh, football, there's going to be a lot of overreactions on a week-to-week basis because we just get one game sample and a lot of time to talk in between. Basketball, particularly college basketball, isn't that. It's a, it's a year-long journey 
and your goal is to be playing your best basketball by Mar- well, the goal is to get in the NCAA tournament, and then if you're in the NCAA tournament, be playing your best basketball then to go on a kind of run like we saw Oregon go on and Auburn go on, despite some struggles they they went through last year when they didn't look like the Sweet 16 and Final Four team that they ended up being. Yeah, and I think one team that's going to struggle early, and I think that they're going to lose a game this week, um, but I think that in the long run they could be okay. I like Davidson to upset Auburn. Um, yeah. Davidson's defense is solid. Their their offense should score at a high level. Auburn loses a bunch of scores. I don't know if they can keep up offensively with, with Davidson. Um, so so I kind of like Auburn to struggle against Davidson, and, and people are going to say, oh, well, Auburn, they're going to suck this year. Not necessarily. They may, but it's something that at least – at least they know they have to work on, um, you know, against top level talent because that that's one of those those games where I'm fully expecting Davidson to kind of handle Auburn with with not ease, um, but but surprise a lot of people with how well they play against Auburn and beat them. So, yeah, well, I think it was interesting too. We'll shift back to the Champions Classic here. Is the fact that uh, you know, we thought about some of these kind of lower, I don't want to say lower end, but Teams that aren't at the top of the polls will have something to prove. Champions Classic is going to feature the top four teams in the country, and all of them have major, major question marks that I think the games on Tuesday night are going to be really uh, enlightening about just who these teams really are. Uh, Ben, I want to talk about that first game with you, the Kansas-Duke game. Uh, Duke, team full of freshmen again, don't have the top-end talent they did last year. We still don't know if they can shoot. Kansas doesn't have the influx of freshman talent that um, Duke or Kentucky will, but they have mm-hmm. some better returners uh, in Lopez Buque and Devin Dotson. Give me some things to watch for in this game. Uh, what do you think could decide it? Yeah, so I- I'm happy it's the Azubuki healthy uh, and-, and playing in this one. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, this guy, uh, if you know, if you hadn't had a chance to watch him, and all, all you guys on here have, but I mean, this guy. He literally changes the game with his presence uh, on the defensive end and then down in the block, too, offensively. So I, I'm really curious to see how Duke uh, guards him. Uh, I'm expecting double teams with him, and uh, they're really going to have to rely on their outside shooting uh, with uh, uh, him taking up the middle on defense. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see this one. Uh, th- this one's in Madison Square Garden. But, you know, I will mention last year, you know, Duke – uh, had a, a game against Kentucky where Kentucky uh, came out pretty flat the, f- the first game of the year. So, you know, we, we mentioned just mentioned this just a couple minutes ago. You know, a, a lot of the, the games will be uh, overreaction type games if you look at some of the scoring. Uh, I take everything with a grain of salt in some of these early matchups, especially with a team that has uh, a lot of new pieces and uh, a team that will be starting a lot of freshmen. So, I think you have to give the upper hand to Kansas uh, in this one with Azubuki back. And then Dotson, of course, uh, you know, he's another uh, guy who, who could really uh, change the game offensively. So really excited to see how Duke uh, prepares and, and what their game plan is uh, for uh, Azubuki. So that that's what I'm looking for uh, in that first one. And, and Tristan, the nightcap, number one versus number two, Michigan State and Kentucky. 
I think you can make the argument that despite being number one, Michigan State may have as many questions as any team in the country, particularly now with Joshua Langford's injury. They're going to keep him out until at least January. There's talk about him potentially redshirting right now. Uh, me and Connor have talked – well, I have talked to Connor at length about uh, my questions about Michigan State's front court and just their lack of size. Uh, what are you looking for in this game? Definitely to play down low for both teams. Uh, I think if you're Kentucky, you know, they went after Kerry Blackshear hard and they failed to land them. And now, you know, is Nate Sestina, the grad transfer from, from, from Bucknell, really going to be that guy that they can plug in and be a factor down low? Because outside of him, they don't really have like a true front court player that you could just throw the ball into and hope you can score. That's why when you look at Kentucky's recruiting class, which is all basically variations of forwards, it's like, is, are they going to have Khalil Whitney down there? Are they going to throw – are they going to go small? Which could be could be good if they have, you know, extras, uh, extra guards to work with and shoot. But I'm looking at these teams, all of them, and outside of maybe Michigan State, I have severe questions about their shooting. I have questions about how many guys you can just give the ball to and score. You know, that's why, you know, even though Josh Lankford's out, I'm still okay with Michigan State being number one because Cassius Winston is that good, and he can cover up all the flaws. The question with those other three teams is, are those sophomore guards, Trey Jones, Devon Dotson, and Ashton Hagens, are they going to step up and be the guy that can cover up whatever flaws? And there's a few of them. For all those teams so I think I'm looking at which guards takes that next step to see to validate them having their top five rankings every team definitely has something to prove um the front court battle in that game is going to be a lot of fun to watch and I think it is a big question for both teams Connor just looking at just at these four teams these two games because they're against such great competition or what we project to be such great competition which team do you think will get the most legitimate answers for uh kansas probably i I don't know like you, you can't really judge duke until at least december i would say probably the same thing about kentucky if we're assuming Joshua Langford comes back and plays a significant starting role on Michigan State, you can't really get a ton of answers about them. So Kansas is probably the only one. Honestly, the, the one top 10 team where I think you can get the most answers this first week is going to be in that Florida-Florida State game because I think that it's an opportunity for Florida to have a statement victory against while Florida State has a lot of turnover, they are still a deep team that's going to come at you with eight, nine, ten players. And I, and I think that Florida has the opportunity to, to really make that statement win. Um, but, but in these four, I think Kansas is going to be the team that answers the most questions simply because Kentucky and Duke, you're going to have to wait for the freshmen to really acclimate themselves with D1 competition. So you can't really talk about them until later in the year. And, and Michigan State has has a lot of question marks heading into the season with Joshua Langford, mm-hmm. Kyle Ahrens. Um, we still don't know what's going to happen with Hauser. So uh, 
Yeah, I think I think the only team that I wouldn't take the results, um, positive or negative, with a grain of salt is probably Kansas. Well, I, I think all that uncertainty, Ben, um, makes uh, gambling on these games particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the fact that Kansas might be a little bit more secure at this point just because of those freshmen in the Duke game. Duke still finds himself favored by one. Talked about Joshua Langford's injury and Michigan State's questions. They're favored by three against Kentucky. How, yeah. how do you look at these games and, and what should betters be looking for? Yeah, uh, I think we make uh, or have been making really good points about, uh, you know, what to expect out of these teams. And I think a team like Kansas, uh, looking up at this matchup, uh, they're one-point favorites in this one. Of course, it's neutral site, so there's no true home court advantage there with both teams playing on a neutral site. But I think you would have to lean uh, to Kansas. You know, looking at the early season matchups, I, I like to – take a look at who has more returning talent. Uh, This is the type of matchup that even if you think that Duke long-term later in the year will have the more successful season, which I think is highly possible. uh, As for this matchup today in, you know, in November, I think Kansas is the team that you have to uh, say has the better opportunity to win this matchup. Just with, again, Azubuki coming back. Uh, you know, they're going to be uh, more of what they will be later in the year. Uh, so these other teams with more freshmen, uh, and then, of course, Michigan State with the, the Langford injury, uh, this isn't going to be the same team. Uh, they will be getting Langford back or later in the year when the freshmen have uh, more minutes under the belt. So that's really what I'm looking for in the first uh, few games uh, of the season is, is to really look at who's coming back from the previous teams and, uh, I think that's a that's a big indicator of how a team will perform in the first few games. Well, these four teams, I think everybody expects to be at least somewhat in the mix once we get to March uh, in terms of winning the national championship. Ben, uh, me and Connor have both talked about the fact that we like Florida. Uh, Tristan, while we're on this, who who's your pick to win the national championship this year? Well, I, I did a roundtable for Fansided where we listed our team's Final Four contenders. I had uh, Florida, Baylor, Mich- Michigan State, and Louisville. And to win it all, I had uh, – try to remember. It was between Florida and Michigan State. I think I had uh, Michigan State going all the way. I Florida. <laughs> I picked Florida. But, no, but- I'll, I'll, I'll say this, though. Just looking at the these Champions Classic teams, one automatic takeaway I have is that it really is anyone's game because mm-hmm. Duke's young and doesn't have that 20-10 and 10 Marvin Bagley, Zion Williamson-type star that can carry over. Kansas, I mean, you could argue two of the three best players are Azubuki and Silvio D'Souza, and they can't be on the court together just because it's facing. Yeah. And same thing with Kentucky and Michigan State, which is, I, I think they have high floors, but I'm not so high to stealing. So there's a lot of teams that could be outside title contenders. Gonzaga, once again, uh, Texas Tech, assuming their front court transfers work out well. I, I You could argue that there's going to be like good 15 to nearly 20 Final Four contenders, because I'll say this, I wouldn't want to see VCU or Davidson in the tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a healthy 
key keywords healthy because we don't know about Namus Keita of Utah State team go on there. So I, I'm excited because I don't think these top tier teams are, you know, as as threatening. And even Florida, as much as I know you love them, Brian, I do. I I, huh. I, I still need to see some offense from them. Because the offense they had last year just wasn't good enough. So I think we're having the assumption that these newcomers and sophomores are going to do are going to bring it. But I still need to see in play, can Mike White have a dynamic offense that's good enough to carry them to win six games in March? Well, Kevon Allen and Jalen Hudson won't be playing ISO ball. And Andrew Nimhard will have the ball in his hands and he gets everybody involved. So they're going to do great. It's going to be fine. But as you mentioned, have, having a, a year that's so wide open like this, uh, Ben, I think creates the opportunity for a lot of really good future bets when it comes to finding value and picking an NCAA tournament champion. Who are some teams that you're looking at when it comes to when it comes to that? Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of parity this year. I, I think more than I've seen probably in about five or six years. And I think the reason is, is there's a lot of top recruits that went to other schools, uh, you know, versus typically you'll have, you know, your Michigan States, Kansas, Kentucky, Dukes, North Carolinas. I mean, we saw this, um, you know, last year with Adesumu over at Illinois. And that's one I wanted to bring up because they're currently at 101. Uh, and, I, you know, when I'm looking at value in the futures market, I, I'm looking to identify teams that could have a really high ceiling. Uh, and Illinois is one of them. I, I mean, it's it's hard to say if they'll actually be what we expect them to be, because on paper, they look really good. They have a lot of talent returning. Uh, we touched on that. I think Tristan t- touched on that earlier. But, you know, they, they potentially have uh, one of the best scorers uh, in the league with A.U. Dusumu. And I, I just think that this team, if they can get into the tournament, which of course is step, step one for winning the tournament, mm-hmm. um, it, it's all about getting hot and you know getting hot at the right time. So you know with a score like that, uh, I think it's definitely possible. Another team I just wanted to touch on that we didn't uh, bring up too much so far in this podcast is uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, and this is a very interesting team. Uh, they return about 98% of their minutes from last year. They, they barely lost anyone. They essentially bring everyone back. Uh, they have Tyler Bay, who will be a top draft pick in, in 2020. Uh, they have McKinley Wright, who is a proven leader. He's the point guard uh, of that team. Uh, this is a Colorado team. I believe it's at 110 to one. So I actually think they can win the Pac-12 too as well. I think they can contend with the Washington team. Uh, or, you know, potentially an Arizona team to win that uh, conference. But uh, those are a few. And then uh, another one I just wanted to bring up real quick is uh, Seton Hall, too. Seton Hall is a team that uh, will be uh, – they'll bring some of the most length of any team uh, into the year. Uh, They have scores, they'll play defense, and they can rebound. Uh, That's really what you want out of a team to make a a deep – push and a deep run uh into uh march so miles powell i mean that that dude he's a baller you want, you want your team to have miles powell that's what yeah, you want let, let's just say that if miles powell is on your team <laughs> you're you're, you're you, you have good chances there and they're at 50 to 1 so I, that's another long shot and again guys there's a lot of parity 
there could be 20, 25 teams that I, I could see winning it all this year. So those are a few that I just wanted to bring up. Yeah, I, I really like that Seton Hall pick. I have Seton Hall in my Final Four. Uh, I've I've gushed about how much I really like Miles Powell this year. I think he's going to win National Player of the Year. Uh, they're a team I, I think could surprise some people make and, and make a long run. One thing about uh, this year being so open is it's going to lend itself to, I think, teams uh, maybe a little bit lower ranked than Seton Hall. They Seton Hall does have some preseason expectations making long runs in the NCAA tournament like we've seen with UConn making their national championship runs in 2011 and 2014, uh, seeing some of those mid-tier seeds play late into March. Uh, Connor, who was somebody who, who may fall in that range you think has the potential to not necessarily make a Final Four run but make a long run in the NCAA tournament? I think – I think the team that, that I think will end up kind of being a, a mid-tier team um, that could make a fi- – not a Final Four run, but a deep run in the tournament is probably Arizona because I they're the team that I have – I have them second in the Pac-12 uh, power rankings, but they're a team that I think of the top four teams in the Pac-12 probably struggles the most simply because the other three teams have – a known entity or, or a somewhat known entity at their point guard position. And I think that Arizona has all the talent in the world in the backcourt, um, but they're leaning on that backcourt. And that backcourt has, outside of Max Hazard, zero D1 college experience. So they're, mm-hmm. they're a team that I could see losing a, you know, a handful of games early, um, losing to teams like Gonzaga for example, that'll find themselves in that possibly six, seven seed space that UConn was on, on that run, and but is ready when it comes time to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Max Hazard has played and played well in the NCAA tournament when he was uh, with UC Irvine, um, and, and they have the talent to do it. So they're, they're a team that I think is going to look disappointing early on, but is going to pick it up uh, – in, in, in January into February and have a legitimate shot at doing some damage um, come March. Well, we, we talk every March about how important guard play is. And Nico Mannion and Josh Green both projected lottery picks. I'm sorry, it's hard to get more talented than that, uh, particularly if you look at a backcourt in the country. The potential is certainly there for it, I, I think. I like Arizona to make the second weekend as well. I don't. I think a Final Four is a little bit too far for them, given their questions inside. Uh, but I do think a second weekend run could be in the cards for the Wildcats. Okay, so we, we've closed every preview podcast this offseason with bold predictions for the conference. Obviously, this one is a look at the nation as a whole. So, Tristan, I, I need one bold prediction from you for just something we're going to see this season anywhere in college basketball. You know, I think there's if there's one team that I'm super high on, and I think no one talks about, I think my bold prediction is that Kansas State will be an Elite Eight team. Uh, I have oh. a gig- – I, I think that uh, Xavier Sneed is going to be an all-conference player. I think yeah. one player that I am extremely high on that I've been wanting, waiting to see him 
his opportunity is Cartier Jarre. I think he is someone limited minutes has shown to be a quality playmaker. And I think, you know, they obviously lost a lot with Barry Brown and Dean Wade, but I'm a believer in their head coach, Bruce Weber. I think he has shown that he can develop players. And I think the big 12 is always going to consistently churn out tournament teams with quality. And even though they lost a lot, they still bring back a fair good amount of talent and they're always going to be a defensive threat. So if I had to look at what should be a, a season full of parity, one team that I'm high on and no one else is, I, I'd like Kansas State to really surprise me. That's a interesting pick. I, I, I think you're definitely kind of alone out there on that branch, but we, we'll revisit this in March and see what happens. I, I, I did I did warn him, Brian, that, that no takes are too hot. So that, that, that one's on me. <laughs> no takes. No takes are too hot, but you know, well, I'll save we'll my pit. I'll save my pit predictions until the Florida State game. Because if Pitt wins, then then the, uh, the Sweet Sixteen bandwagon starting. But I, 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 I'm, on, I'm on board with the breakout season for Pitt. I don't, I don't necessarily think tournament, but I think a bubble team that does pretty well in the NIT. It's in the cards for Pitt this year. Seeing, I, I'm just. Can you name six teams, five or six teams in the ACC that is better than Pitt outside of the the clear outside cut? Outside of the five or six at the top? Hey, hey if it's a seven team in the ACC can make the tournament. That's all we need. Oh, for sure. And I, I think Pitt has the potential to slide into that slot, for sure. Better than Notre Dame. I know that, but yep, digress. <laughs> ben, what about you? As, as you look around the country, give me your – Biggest bold prediction or boldest prediction? Yeah, so this is a, a little bit of a two-part, but uh, the first part is I think the Pac-12 uh, has a resurgence this this year, and I think they perform really well, potentially getting four or five teams in the tournament. Um, I, I think there's a lot of talent in this conference this year, and you know that's of course the Colorado team I mentioned, uh, Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, Washington with the the two freshmen uh, this year, so I, I think the Pac-12 does really well this year. Uh, they they need a little bit of a bounce back uh, after last year. They were kind of the the laughing stock. But uh, as far as a, a team, uh, I think Colorado is a team that can make a deep run. Uh, I don't think they make the uh, the Final Four, but I think they can definitely get into the Sweet 16. I have them somewhere around a, a seven seed headed into the, the tournament. I know that's, you know, extremely early and a lot can happen, but this team just has a lot of seniors returning and they have one of the most underrated coaches, I, I believe uh, on this side of the Mississippi uh, with Pat Boyle. Uh, he's, he's pumped out a, a lot of talent into the uh, uh, NBA. Uh, he's a good coach as far as player development goes. And uh, I could see the, the Colorado Buffaloes uh, getting, into the Sweet 16, again, point guard play is huge come tournament time. And McKinley Wright, uh, he is the definition of a point guard. Uh, he really gets that offense going, and he's the leader for that team. So uh, I like Colorado to to actually win the Pac-12 and then make a deep run uh, deep as, as far as maybe the Sweet 16, potentially Elite Eight. So that's, that's a pretty bold prediction, I, I'd say. Yeah, Pac-12 is going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to rebound in a big way as well. So I I really like that. Uh, Connor, we've 
given several bold predictions, give me your boldest that we haven't talked about already. Uh, I, I kind of have two. I have one for this week and, and one for the season. My bold prediction for this week is that the first top 10 team to lose will not be a Champions Classic team. I think Miami upsets Louisville to start Ooh. the season. I just I just don't trust Louisville enough to go into Coral Gables and, and beat Miami right off the bat. I think the Miami fan base is going to be there strong. Um, and... And I, I just, I have a, this nagging feeling that that Chris likes is gonna is gonna go off and and do something special. So that's my bold prediction for Tuesday: is that the first top ten tweet team okay. to go down is is gonna be Louisville. Um, as far as the season, uh, look, I, we we've gone over our bold prediction so much. I don't really, I guess, I guess my boldest prediction. Is, New Mexico State makes the Final Four. No, I guess my <laughs> boldest prediction is we talk about all these things happening um, outside of outside of the A10. If we're going to consider the A10 a mid-major, I really don't think that there's going to be an at-large bid from the mid-majors this year. I just I just don't see it. I don't see. I I think St. Mary's is going to get exposed somewhat by their tough schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know. I think people are underrating how much they lose by losing Jordan Hunter. I, I really do. And there's no one in the Mountain West that really excites me um, outside of probably Utah State. And and look, we, we mentioned Harvard if they lose the tournament, but I, I would still consider Harvard the, the odds-on favorite to, to win that, that tournament. So um, outside of the A-10, which I think could get four bids, um, I just really don't see a team that I'm – confident is going to get an at-large bid um you know outside of teams that i think will run away with their conferences like gonzaga utah state and harvard yeah i i have harvard as one of mine i think they're a second weekend team in the nsa tournament and i i agree with what you're saying about their potential being a, a two-bid ivy league connor i think they're going to win so many games in the non-conference that it's going to be impossible to keep them out. Kind of like a Murray State situation from a couple years ago when they had Isaiah Cannon and they won like 31 or 32 games in the regular season and ended up with a sixth seed because they didn't beat anybody. But just that sheer number of wins got them in. I think we could see something similar like that happen with Harvard. And they're talented enough to where I, I think that happens and they were able to make it to the second weekend and make a, a Sweet 16. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Busting Brackets podcast. Thank you guys for listening. It's finally here. The season is here. We have games to watch and games that we will talk about next time. So make sure you tune in then. 